0: Alright, so, (laughs) welcome back, welcome to the next chapter. This is chapter number three in our series, What Happened in India. So, to set the stage, or to just sort of recap, I'd made my way to India, And I've just started going to the Osho International Meditation Resort on a regular basis. So if you'd like to, you can go and listen to the previous chapters, listen to the previous episodes. That will keep you up to speed in the narrative. Otherwise, we can continue forth with our plot. And I believe at the end of the last chapter, we got just to the point where I was about to take the jump into Osho Mystic Rose. So, I explain the significance of that in that chapter. It's very important that you hear that for a lot of what this is, what this chapter is. So, that's a little bit of a recap. And this is a high-energy episode. This is a... <laughs> This is a pretty, pretty insane thing that happened in this first week of Mystic Rose. It really was just, uh, well, well. let me tell you about it. So, one of the meditation halls, or the places where meditation happens at the Osho International Meditation Resort is Chuan Tzu and this was Osho's bedroom it was his sort of private quarters and basically to get into this hall or this room there's two ways you can sort of come down the main path or you can come around the side, around the back way, which is through Lao Tzu Garden. And Lao Tzu Garden is significant because it's halfway between a jungle and a sort of Japanese-style garden, which is sort of all neat, right? So if you have this idea of the jungle which is wild and things are attacking each other and they're overgrown and things are on top and there's all this mess. And then in contrast to that, there's the Japanese or Asian-style garden which is like very neat, very well-planned, very carefully designed and quite clearly well-cultivated. And Lao Tzu Garden is this sort of Zen-style in-between of those two things. If you look carefully around Lao Tzu garden, you can't actually tell if it's a jungle or if it's a well-kept garden. Like Some things would indicate, well, this is very well-kept, it's very clean, it's very well-designed in a certain way of which plants go where and which height they're going to grow to, to have a sort of range of different size leaves and different colors and these sorts of things and different times of year of what flowers at different times of year and these sorts of things so that's a sort of like zen thing that you sort of get a sense of as you walk through Lao Tzu Garden and if you walk through towards Tuantazu, you then come to the carport and that is through these big glass doors and you walk in and it's marble floors. And that's where everyone changes their shoes. Because you have to take off your shoes and put on the designated socks to go into Tronto Zoo. And in the carport, <laughs> of course, is Osho's Rolls-Royce. So Osho was famous for having this massive Rolls-Royce collection. I think he had like 90, 94 Rolls-Royces at once. And the idea <laughs> the idea even was that he would have 365, one for each day of the year sort of thing. But, like, that's the sort of outrageous sort of stunt that he would pull, right? And, I mean, there's a lot of ideas behind that, right? That's a sort of comment on materialistic society. But we don't need to get into sort of those sorts of commentaries here. It's just that, well, you walk into the carport and on one side there is the Rolls Royce. Now, on the other side, there is this sort of basin or display of crystals, and there's a collection of quite large and uh, quite a variety of quartzes, and the idea there is to symbolise the crystallised soul, and essentially. A crystal is something that is very, very hard. It's indestructible. It's the most tough substance. And yet it's perfectly transparent. You can see right through it. So Osho had used that as a poetic kind of illustration of the soul and how the soul is developed. And... I realized later through this process of mystic rose that a crystal is made under intense heat and pressure and that was a theme that would come up again and again during my time at the at at the resort so the other thing that is in the carport before you go in while you're changing your socks is some osho quotes and there's a couple of different quotes and One of them is about how you really should forget about Osho. You really should just let him be a person that has come and gone. And it's really up to you and your own journey. So, you take your shoes off, you put the socks on, and you walk out of the carport into the next room. And the next room is the library. And the library is glass walls, with the books showing, from floor to ceiling, on every wall. And it's all around, you walk all around this library, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of books. And Osho is reported to have read over 150,000 books. Like, whoa, right? Monumental kind of intellect. And he also built his own library when he was in like his early twenties, right? Like don't even try to fathom it, right? You know? I wouldn't even know that many books. Let alone in my early early twenties, let alone how to like like he actually built the library. Like he actually had them in order, right? And and put them in their places and knew when one was missing and had them cleaned and had his little brothers and sisters take care of them and clean them. And there's, there's even this story of one of Osho's university professors taking one of the books and there's sort of this altercation and Osho ends up demanding that the professor replaces the book. So he was very protective of his library. Now I don't know if it was the actual original books in this next room that it was. I mean, it doesn't matter, but that's that room that you make your way through. And if you go down another hall and you turn into the next room through the library, you end up in the dentist's room. And in this room, all of the walls and everything in the room is made of mirrors. And you walk in and you see yourself reflected. It's sort of sort of got this unsettling sort of effect of, oh, I see myself and I could see myself from behind in certain angles. I can see myself in different ways. And the dentist chair is right in the middle of the room and it's got this little sign on it that says, please do not sit on Osho's chair. <laughs> they obviously want to preserve its quality or something. But Osho was big on his dentistry and his own sort of care for his and, and, you know, that's another sort of story in and of itself. But you walk through, through reflecting all over yourself, and then you go into a small foyer where we would keep our water bottles and just personal effects. And then you go through another glass door, and then you arrive in Chuan Zoo. And in that room, there is these huge untreated single source marble pillars and you can see the veins of quartz still going through them and between each of these pillars is half reflective glass and on the back end of the wall there's this big mirror and this sort of memoriam for Osho, it's got a little statue of Osho and an Osho quote on there, and apparently that's where his ashes are laid from his cremation. And you walk in, and there's this big chandelier, this shining light, this marble walls, these glass walls, and you see from in there Lao Tzu garden. You see the garden that you began the journey in. And this process of coming through from the garden into the carport, into the library, into the dentist's room of self-reflecting, and then into Tranta Zoo is this sort of mini-journey of the spiritual quest from materialism to knowledge to self-reflecting. And then you come out and you see where you began. You see where you've come from. In a new light, because it's reflective glass. It's got this sort of multi-dimensionality to it. And it's here, in Chwantazoo, that every month, they run the course, Osho Mystic Rose. <laughs> so, when I went in into that room for... Osho Mystic Rose, it was actually full of blaring music, right? And I mean, the story is that how how it actually happened was we actually gathered as a group out in the Multiversity Plaza and we had sort of these nervous few moments of like people sitting down in the chair and it's like someone would sit down and then someone else would join. And every time someone would sit, it would be like this nervous thing of like, oh, okay, so you're going to be one of these people who I'm going to be with. For the next three weeks, through this this massive, intense process, and there was also some dancing, right? We had this big dance and this big celebration with this loud pop music, and then we went in, and there was some more dancing right to have to have dancing and this sort of alive jumping around in this place where you would be be a little bit careful, you know it's like it's it's almost like Grandma's place right when you go and you visit your grandma there's these antiques on the wall and you don't really want to break anything you want to be careful there's this sense of fragility around some something precious is about it and yet we were all sort of jumping around and dancing and this was the beginning of mystic rose this was the first week which is a week of laughter so the facilitator sat us down had a few instructions and Explain the format, which is three hours of laughing and a few things about, you know, how to keep your boundaries, how to respect other people and these sorts of things. And then we just dived in, right? It was just like this bang and we were off at it. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. At first, right? For the first couple of seconds, I was like, this is stupid. I can't even force myself to laugh. You know, this is fake laughter. I'm just just forcing it. What am I supposed to be doing? But I then, like, looked over and I saw, like, one guy was standing there with this tissue hanging out of his nose. And I thought, you know, I giggled and laughed at that. And then someone else was, like, looking at him and they pulled the tissue out and pretended to put it up their nose. And, of course, then I laughed even more at that. And then they heard me laughing, and they turned to me, and they were bringing, they were bringing this tissue that had been up this guy's nose to me, and that was the end of it. That was the end of me. It was just like raucous, just off your face, like laughter, and I just like just bolted across the room, and just ah, oh, like the whole thing exploded, and then everyone, of course saw this and they all cheered and just laughed and like just went crazy. And of course, I felt like my face burn up and my whole head just like exploding with air as this laughter just emanated out of me. And I was like, holy mother of Mary, this is the most insane laughter. This is, this is just head tearing off sort of laughter. And it was like from there it was just this nonstop just just craziness. Everything seemed to have this significance to it. Someone would see something and then they'd laugh, and then someone would point at someone else, and then someone would th- someone would throw pillows and then some guy was doing cartwheels, and then someone would fall over and then someone was dragging a pillow, and then something would happen and then it was just like this it's just this ball of craziness and then somehow things just seemed to twirl and like break into slow motion right and I remember just this this particular moment of this this pillow flying across the room in slow motion and everyone like looking at it and cheering and then it lands like on this little bin and this little bin sort of gets hit and the lid spins and everyone just erupts in laughter the most The most hysterical laughter at this pillow hitting the bin. It's the most insane thing ever. And I'm just like, my God, there's so much going on. And then all of a sudden, the facilitator was like doing the the chime, like the end. And I was like, hang on. It's meant to be three hours. And it's only been going, for my estimation, about 20 minutes, right? Right? And this this is in slow motion, right? Slow motion just, sur- just just insane asylum sort of laughter. And as it turned out, that 20 minutes was actually three hours. I was just like shocked by the time warp. And and I walked out and we sort of got to the end of that first session and I was just I was just like, oh my god, and then And then I ran into my friend, a Russian lady, and she had done Mystic Rose like a few, maybe not the month before, maybe two months before or something. And I ran into her and I was just like, like, oh, (laughs) i just like oh my god and she just said yes that's what it's like and i was like my face just feels like it's melted and my hands and my my kidneys and my gut and my abs and my chest and everything is just like oh my head oh my god and she's just like yes that's it and i'm like This is only the first day. Oh oh my God. It's the first day. Oh oh man. So that's like, that's like a little taste of the kind of energy that happened in that explosion on the first day. And of course I was able to go off and like, and, and one guy in the group would like, Oh man, I remember he he went off to lunch and he like sat down and watched comedy, vid- comedy videos and was like laughing to himself during lunch. And I was like, oh my, just you just need to rest. Don't you need to rest? I need to rest. That was so insane. That took so much out of me. Oh man. But I was able to rest up. I was able to come back the next day. And the next day, that day two, I remember, a similar sort of thing happened. But I noticed that my peak had changed. That sort of off-the-face laughing had changed. I couldn't do it the same. It didn't happen the same. And I had this realization, or I had this sort of vision, where I asked myself, Am I am I killing my inner child while I'm doing this? Am I sort of destroying something if I can't do it again by doing it? And with that vision came this picture of my inner child and I sort of sort of picked up this pillow and was sort of like looking at it and just thinking like this is my inner child and of course I have to keep laughing, right? You ha- you have this thing always of keep laughing, keep laughing, no matter what's happening, no matter what you're thinking, no matter what's going on around you, you just have to keep laughing, keep laughing. And I had this child, and I was like, I'm killing this child. And I slowly had this sort of, this sort of anger come over me, this sort of, this sort of violence. And I, and I held this child. I screamed I this child and I, and I put my hands around its neck. And all the while, I have to keep laughing. And I say, I'm laughing. Keep laughing. And I strangled that child. I actually choked that child. And I saw that baby suffocate to death until it couldn't move anymore. And I sort of wringed its neck and like let it drop to the floor as this dead baby, all while I was laughing. And I was just like standing up and walking away and like laughing while I was having this just incredibly dark moment. And from there, things were really starting to get like multidimensional because the mind was separating out and going into all these different places and all these visions. And then the visions were happening and I was sort of still interacting with the people around me and then still like, you know, making eye contact with someone and then laughing. And it's like, well, what are you thinking? Do you see what I see? Is it what you're laughing at is what I'm laughing at? And can you think of like what i'm going through of course you can't you have no idea what i'm going through it's all in my head it's all in your head and it's just this it's just this trip and all the while it's just like keep laughing you have to keep laughing force yourself to keep laughing and of course there were ups and downs right sometimes people would try things and do things and they wouldn't be that spontaneous and it wouldn't be that funny and Other times people would be in a low and they'd be forcing their laughter and you'd be like, oh, okay, so I have to sort of help them or sort of push it out. And when I'm laughing really loud, then I'm laughing really loud. And on into the third day, this sort of back and forth continued. And by the time we got to the fourth day, it was like those things that were hilarious and those things that were like really funny were were no longer really funny. Like there was no way you could do something in the room to get a reaction. And people were starting to keep to themselves more. You know, sometimes people would go off to the side. Sometimes people would go into their own place and sort of put their blindfold on and no one would bother them. And they'd just be laughing to themselves. And then by the time we got to the 5th day that was that was the real real grind that was just like really really hard to keep laughing and i was just exhausted from tension in my muscles tension in my face tension in my shoulders just like clenching of the muscles the breathing that air, my throat was dry, even though I was still drinking lots of water. And I was basically losing my voice from having this laughter happen so much. And you could feel it all around, like everyone was just like drawn out. And by the time we got to that fifth and sixth day, those three hours felt like years. It was just like, oh, come on. When will it be? over please just let me stop and yeah like by the time I got to the seventh day I was just done I was just sick of it and I would basically completely lost my voice I was so not interested in anyone and I'm pretty sure this was like a general sort of thing right like laughing week had begun with this big celebration (laughs) with everyone sort of cheering and being happy and as the week had progressed we'd just become more and more sort of like you know not interested in each other in our own worlds and just apart so we'd been like wanting more and more to not interact with people and to just to go away And, yeah, let me just get a tissue. So, yeah, as I was saying, the week sort of had that progression to it. And there was only two people in that whole group who could actually keep up the laughter for the full week. And one was this elderly lady who had just been lying on her back with her legs in the air, laughing at the top of her lungs for the whole time. And, you know, that that is an inspiration, right? To be sort of in this moment where it's like, okay, I'm exhausted, I've had enough, I'm fed up, I'm sick of this process, and yet there's this old lady just sort of there Showing you how it's done, right? Showing you that it's possible, right? <laughs> that was a true inspiration. And it also just blows out your idea of like the frail old lady. Because I was able to... I, I remember I hugged her once. We, had a, we shared a hug. And when you hug someone closely, you sense their body. You sense how they are. And I remember hugging her outside like later on. And just feeling like real strength, like this really strong, like not just the body, but like the soul as well, or something, or like for want of a better word, there was something just really strong about her. And that was a real inspiration. And I did get to know her later on, and she was a, an amazingly inspiring woman, uh, truly remarkable woman and a truly remarkable story of of realization and transcendence. And then the other person who was able to keep up the laughter for the whole week was the facilitator. And she was something else. I mean, I could write a book about her. And in fact, I probably will write a book about her one day. Because the things that she did in that room, the way she was interacting and sort of holding the space for us as a facilitator had her, in from my perspective, in my perspective, become this kind of godlike being, like this divine being. I was able to see her divinity. And the amount of laughter that was coming out of that thing was beyond human, right? <laughs> it, was, it was beyond what was physically possible for a human to do. And it was so clear to everyone in that room because we were all in that room, right, for the whole seven days. And we were all giving it everything that we got. Everyone was in that room and no one could do it. No one could really keep it up. And yet, by the end of the seven days there was this facilitator that just had this bellowing laughter just just constantly just coming out of this head as it's blown to pieces right and i just remember that sound just echoing out right this incredible sound just ah it's like how do you do it so that's a little bit about how laughing week is inside the sessions and the progression of the week like I said had this trajectory of like celebration to in some ways just just defeatedness like by the end of that week I just felt defeated right like just uh, I just want to give up I want to give up everything so yeah and i mean the other the other amazing thing about it was that the way the sessions were timed was that they'd end and then you'd come out and there would be about 10 to 15 minutes before the cafeteria would open for lunch and in those times i would sort of just sit and have a moment by the pool. And I remember those times of like sitting by the pool for just those 10 minutes after the session and really sensing the mystical, right? It's really it's really that thing you can't put words to. And of course, right, this thing, like I've said earlier, about the mystic rose is that it it's it's somehow off in the star that somehow this big grand sort of foggy thing that you can't you can't hold, you can't sort of touch, you can't exactly see and that's that's really what I came to India for that's what I was looking for, right the gift of existence, the gift of the mystical world somehow coming towards me, somehow coming into me. So, those few moments before lunch were really precious, and all sorts of other things were opening up during that week, right? Like, every time I heard laughter, when I'd just be sitting somewhere and someone would be talking, or there'd be a group of people talking and they'd erupt in laughter. I'd be really acutely aware of that sound, like, whoa, that's laughter. And I've noticed that some of the time my response to that is to feel sort of sad, like I'm left out, like, oh, people are laughing, having a good time without me. But during that week, and basically since then, it's been like, ah, they're laughing, so I laugh along with them, right? That's a very different... That's a very big switch to have. And I also remember like standing in the garden one time and hearing the birds singing. And it was like this, this cackling sort of singing, which actually switched in my mind as laughter. And I was like, they're not singing. It's laughter. The birds are laughing. Yes, this glorious moment of the birds laughing. And then, of course, later on in the, in the therapy room, in, in the sessions, it was like, okay, now we're not just laughing, we're singing. We're doing this bird singing. So there were these connections between nature and action that were occurring as well. And probably one of the most insightful things that I got from Laughing week was this this true deep sense of silence. And when you're in a room with people laughing at the top of their lungs for three hours, it's loud, right? There's a lot of just no- noise going in. And when I walked out, when I was able to actually have the peace everything felt quiet right like a busy a busy cafeteria where there's people eating and people telling stories and people talking that sort of hustling bustling sort of ambience of lunchtime actually sounds peaceful it actually sounds it sounds quiet when you've been in the the nonstop celebration insane asylum which is laughing week on osho mystic rose and and when you sense that, when it's like that, you see that it's happening in silence. Right? Sound occurs within silence. And you can sense the silence even when there's sound happening, even when there's sound occurring. And I even also remember having the further realization that The whole world is in silence. Right? Because this planet that we're on, planet Earth, is floating in space. And space is a vacuum where there's no sound. So, in so many ways, we're all in silence. And you can always sense the silence. So... It was a very big shift in my understanding of what silence really is. Because you think of silence as the absence of noise, right? That's sort of the ABC definition of silence. If we turn off all the sounds, then you get silence. But that's not actually what silence is. Silence is actually this space which is always there, like this field, and sounds happen within it, whether it's a conversation or a bird singing or whatever the sound is, someone talking, someone laughing. (laughs) So, yeah, I remember on the last session of Laughing Week, just walking out and being fed up. With everything. Being dry in the voice. Stiff in the face. Stiff in my body. Not wanting to talk to anyone. Just having lost my... Like I couldn't talk at all. There were a couple of days there where I was just whispering. And just like, stay away from me. I don't want to go near anyone. And I remember to... (laughs) I remember turning to one of my friends... And I just said to her, I'm about ready to bawl my eyes out. And she said, yeah, that's that's part of the process. That's why they have laughing week first and crying week second, because it prepares you for that. And, yeah, I mean, I I kept doing a lot of the other meditations as well, but a lot of the time I was just sort of focusing on that process of laughing week, oh man, it was, it was such a trip. I mean, I remember, I remember so much of what happened in that room. I remember so much of the little details, like the specific details of like the shapes of the pillows and what someone had done with a pillow or a mattress and when someone had sort of looked at something or when someone had done something like i i remember so much from that week i just can't go into too much detail and and i hope i haven't sort of pushed a line i mean i haven't mentioned any names i hope i haven't said too much to breach the confidentiality because there is a confidentiality of what happens in that room and believe me there's a hell of a lot more that I could have said there were some there were some really significant moments like like moments where we thought the actual process itself was in jeopardy right we actually thought this might actually have to stop sort of thing so there were there were a couple of emergencies like that right and I'm probably verging on saying too much so I won't say too much more but let me just let me just summarize by saying it was a hell of a trip (laughs) that that laughing week was a hell of a trip and it just left me ready ready in so many ways for crying week, even though I didn't know it at the time, even though I still had no idea. I had this renewed sense of fear like, oh my God, tomorrow is crying week. What am I going to do? How is this going to be possible? How am I going to do this? Laughter, I can force, right? Laughter, I can actually put on, but... How am I going to do crying week? How is this going to work for me? So I had no idea what to expect. So that will be the next chapter. (laughs) Crying week. And this chapter has been laughing week. So thanks very much for tuning in. Make sure you check out the next episode. It will be out next week. And, boy, oh, boy, what a trip that was. Osho Mystic Rose. So, (laughs) thanks very much, guys. We'll be back next week with the next chapter. So, have a good week. And that's all I have to say for now.